Could you write a job description for a CTO or an architect or a UX designer? We've heard of these roles before, but when it comes to accurately describing what they do and how they fit into a tech company, we realized we came up a little bit short. And we know we're probably not alone. So we set out to fix that. We're exploring how these roles fit into a fictional startup. The founder has an idea for an app that's bound to disrupt the financial industry. Our founder is excited to get this company up and running. Now they need help to actually build it. Startups have different needs as they grow from a seed to a fully-fledged business. Over the course of this series, our founder is going to learn about some of the key technical roles needed to address those needs and how those roles fit into an organization. We're calling the series Reroll. The first episode focuses on the technical founder. Often hard to land, the co-founding CTO is crucial to the technical development of an application. The CTO figures out if an idea is possible, and if so, how to actually get it done. They set the company's technical direction, and they also help build the technical team. As we'll learn, they're also going to do much more to ensure the company is on track to compete in the fast-changing tech industry. Because without a CTO, you're not going to get very far building a tech startup. This is Compiler, an original podcast from Red Hat. I'm Kim Wong. I'm Angela Andrews. And I'm Johan Philippine. We're following a fictional startup as they grow their business. Any resemblance to real companies is purely coincidental and unintentional. As it grows, our startup realizes it needs to fill new roles. Today's episode, The CTO. Producer Johan Philippine is here to get us started. We're going to start the episode with definitions. As we do, I went to a CTO for firsthand knowledge of the role. I mean, if you're going to find out about CTOs, you should probably talk to a CTO. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> the difficulty is they tend to be a pretty busy bunch. So getting one on your calendar They're is, pretty busy. Uh, yeah. <laughs> well, the CTO I spoke to is our very own Red Hat's Chris Wright. He was kind enough to explain his role to me. You know, the T in CTO is all about the technology. That sort of C-level type of title really means you're, you're doing something broad across the whole organization. And so I'm looking at technology from the point of view of what is our technology strategy. And as a result of being a software company, which is so much about how we deliver technology, our technology strategy. Okay, so what does it mean to actually look at the technology and, and form the tech strategy? He needs to be on top of tech trends. He needs to be able to kind of sift the useful news from the hype. Mm -hmm. And then he needs to kind of figure out how that useful new technology fits into the overall company portfolio, if it does at all, right? Mm. Now, the degree to which a CTO can really dig into the pure technology itself to figure all this out really depends on the size of the company. So if you think about an early stage startup, it's not uncommon that the CTO is the person whose technical idea the business is built around. And so that's very much the inventor, you know, maybe a really hardcore hands-on keyboard technologist person. As the company itself grows and your mid-sized company or transitioning to a larger company, the amount that you're balancing the technology view with the business view changes. Initially, it's so focused around technology and what's the invention or what's the differentiated 
technical idea that we're building here, how you take that to customers and, and grow a company around that idea or a collection of ideas, that has a much more business view or business lens that, that becomes really critical. So as the business grows, the CTO has to focus on much more than just the technical aspects of the technology, right? Chris told me he has to think about more than just how to build the technology, but also how do you build a business around it? And he asks himself who the audience is, what are the market outlets for the technology, and how do you reach that audience, right? And that's a really broad set of skills. It goes far beyond what I expected a technical leader to be responsible for. Angela, I'd be interested to know, like, what do you think about a a CTO and what they have to bring to the table? Well, I'm impressed because having a technical acumen and being able to come up with the idea for a product that you're launching your startup around and helping getting off the ground, that takes a very technical person. It takes a person with their pulse on what the market is currently doing, what technology is currently doing. And then, as he said, like as the business starts to grow, well, so does his business acumen. Mm -hmm. You know, the focus tends to move a little bit away from the technical because you've hired on all these folks to take on that mantle. But Mm -hmm. now you have to wear your business hat. And your business hat deals with profits and margins and losses and, you know, where we are in the tech space and quadrants and things like that. And mm-hmm. that seems to me like a totally different skill set from being the technical person to being the business person. Mm-hmm. And it takes a special person to be able to switch between the two. Yeah. And I'm sure that there are even other facets and roles that a CTO does that we probably even haven't scratched the surface on yet. Mm-hmm. But that's huge. Now, the additional thing that Chris does is not only is he the CTO, he's also the vice president of engineering. So he's in charge of all the technical teams and not only coming up with the ideas and and kind of setting the vision for where the company is headed, but he's also in charge of the execution of that vision. And that's not always something that CTOs do, especially when the companies get bigger, right? Mm. When companies get bigger, the CTOs kind of focus on the vision part and then hand it off to the engineering teams Mm. to figure out how that gets built. But Chris is in a special position where he kind of does both. So when he's connected with that engineering side, he can get a little bit more of an idea of, well, is this vision that I'm thinking of, is that actually feasible from a technical standpoint? Can we build this and incorporate it into our technology? And is it going to be kind of a successful integration? Hmm. And I wonder if even further, if that has that grounding or that presence that he has to maintain with like engineering folks internally and Mm -hmm. with those teams, he has to kind of think, is what I'm thinking reflective of the organizational experience or the people that are working for me? Mm -hmm. Are those the types of things that they're thinking about? Mm -hmm. I'm sure he has to be a really good listener. Mm. Mm. If you're going to be a part of the engineering org, you're going to have to listen to what engineers are saying, Mm -hmm. what the customers are saying to them. And I think that's actually a pretty smart move for Chris to kind of want to stay embedded into the engineering role because these are the folks, these are the boots on the ground people. Imagine that they have this really great understanding of what our customers want Mm. and where technology is going because they're literally dealing with it each and every day. Mm -hmm. And to have that as a part of his role where 
He has to deal with it each and every day. He'll always be in tune with, well, this is how our business is operating. This is how our customers are operating. This is what our customers want. Yeah, listening is a great soft skill to have, Mm -hmm. but it's only one in the kind of arsenal that he needs to develop and that he has developed, Chris Wright specifically, but that ACTO needs to develop. He told me a little bit about another one that's super important to be an effective CTO. So there's not just the technology, the bits and bytes. There's the communication around the technology. There's the leadership aspect of getting people pushing in the same direction, sharing a vision, and then you know, really executing against or striving towards that vision in a way that's the leadership aspect, very different from the technology side. So what he's saying here is that as part of the C-suite, he's a leader and he has to really kind of push everyone in the same direction, not only get that vision and understand what it is that the company should do from a technical standpoint, he then needs to make sure that his vision is communicated down to the rest of the organization so that everyone is working and on that vision and making it as successful as it can possibly be. Because if you can't communicate well, then people aren't going to really understand what it is that you want to do, what you want to build. And if you don't have that focus, it's going to be difficult to be a successful organization. I want to ask, Johan, because I have a question about customers. Mm -hmm. While within an organization, you can have that kind of shared vision, I can't imagine that different customers and their expectations are uniform. They can't all be the same. Mm. How does a CTO deal with that and that different customers have different needs and different desires? Well, as part of the C-suite, the CTO spends a lot of FaceTime with customers and with partners. And those communication skills really come in handy to figure out what they need and what they're curious about. Mm. But he also, like you're saying, he kind of needs to manage expectations a little bit. It's true. So it's not uncommon for me to have these conversations with customers that start out with a very open-ended question, like effectively, what's the world going to be like in five years? The honest answer to that is In many ways, I just have absolutely no idea. So the fortune teller aspect, boy, is it hard to tell the future. Now, you could recontextualize that. In five years, what will the enterprise look like? That's a lot easier to have an opinion around because most of what the enterprise will look like in five years is what we're working on today. So that starts to build that bridge. And if we recalibrate the timelines, like when you say in five years, do you mean What new invention will exist or how far should I be along the path of absorbing today's technology? Those are very different conversations. And in the latter, I'm much more of the cartographer or helping them map out a path into the future rather than just gazing into my crystal ball and explaining that I believe in 2027 we'll have autonomous flying vehicles. Well, we know that crystal ball isn't absolutely accurate. Mm -hmm. I mean, because if we're talking about looking into the future, we'd already be in flying cars by now. (laughs) But but that's an interesting take on it where that is two different questions. I mean, where we are now has a huge impact on where we'll be in five years. Mm -hmm. It is the groundwork. But how far will we have been in these new emerging technologies? Mm -hmm. How much will we have progressed in these new burgeoning technologies? And Mm -hmm. yeah, they are two different questions. And his answer is he has no idea. That's really the honest answer because we can go back five years from now 
And a lot of us, we knew what the technology could be, but we didn't have an idea about the possibilities, right? Mm -hmm. So in five years from now, we're dealing with a lot of merging technologies in Red Hat and other companies and other sectors around the technology space. And we have an idea because we have so much burgeoning technology now, but Mm -hmm. we have no idea what it's going to look like in five years. And that's the interesting part of it. How do you decide where to place your bets? Mm -hmm. So less... Nostradamus, more Magellan is what I'm like picking yeah. up. I hear from that. It. Yes, exactly. I definitely hear that. Yeah. The the other example that he gave in our conversation was, you know, back in the mid 2000s or whatever, no one really knew anything about the smartphone or mm. what what it was going to be or what it was going to do. And a lot of early adopters bought it just because it was the cool new thing, right? And then you couldn't have predicted the impact that it would have on our society and the rise of, you know, apps and social media and and all the different things that arose out of this new invention and and how that changed the tech industry. And look at us now. Yeah. (laughs) Look at us now. Now, even when he makes sure that customers understand his role more of a, a cartographer rather than a fortune teller, a lot of them, you know, they hear him as, as a CTO and they still expect a little bit too much from him. Mm. All they expect me to know is everything that's in our portfolio, all the features, the roadmaps, the dates for deliverables, the commercial pricing models, etc. Everything, if you take a look at our portfolio, there are white spaces where we might work with partners or, or just have no great solution. Mm. So there's everything that's in our portfolio, then it's everything that's not in our portfolio. <laughs> and then it's all the emerging new ideas that aren't necessarily well mapped to either of those. That's all. It's essentially everything. And it, it's a completely unrealistic expectation that any single person knows that much because they also assume I'll know it down to a level of detail of lines of code, you know, implementation details. And I found that frustrating and even overwhelming at times. Mm, wow. wow. Okay, so that's yeah. a wow for me. Because, me too. <laughs> I mean, that is so much pressure mm-hmm. to put on someone and to know that he realizes and feels that pressure. Mm-hmm. Oh, I feel so bad because I'm just like, you know, I, that's what I expect. You're Chris Wright. Mm-hmm. And I wonder, I mean, mm-hmm. he knows this to be a fact, that that is the kind of pressure that yeah. customers and partners kind of put on him. And it's impossible mm-hmm. to be able to uphold that. So... I'm sorry for my part in that. I'm really sorry for my part in that. It's also refreshing to hear him say as much that it, yeah. even for someone like him, it's unrealistic and, and it's very yeah. overwhelming. And I can see mm-hmm. any person in his position being very overwhelmed. You have to know what you know and then also know what you don't know. Like, how is that possible? Mm-hmm. I understand a CTO being kind of like an expert in certain things, but there's a reason why companies aren't just like two people. True. Right? True. Yeah. Exactly. And what that means is when he's got meetings with customers or partners or whoever, where he's going to have this kind of conversation, he prepares by bringing subject matter experts with him to those meetings to field a lot of the expected questions Mm. that he won't be able to answer with the same amount of expertise, right? 
he has a team. It's great that he has a team that can back him up and because that's what we expect. Mm-hmm. But he's surrounded by all these brilliant folks that can provide him with all of this information and and support any conversation that he's having. And mm-hmm. he shouldn't have to know all those things because there's so many great people on his team that can really yeah. tie those ends up for him. Right. And they can bring a specialized knowledge, maybe for a certain vertical, maybe mm-hmm. for a financial, for example. They mm-hmm. can exactly. bring a lot of that very specialized expertise and knowledge to a conversation that wouldn't have it otherwise. Mm-hmm. So just to recap a little bit, the CTO keeps an eye on technology trends. They figure out if those trends fit into the company's technology and business strategies, and they need to set the company's tech vision, which for a tech company often overlaps with its overall direction. They also need to communicate that vision with their teams, their partners, and their customers. Now, that's a lot to expect from a single person. Our next guest is going to tell us a little bit about his experience with founding CTOs and making sure that they have the support they need to be successful. So we want to hear a little bit about the CTO as Mm -hmm. a founder, right? So, Mm -hmm. Johan, to that point, who did you talk to to get a little bit of that perspective? Well, we spoke with Kirk Barnes. He's an author and the CEO and co-founder of TransfarMed in Atlanta, Georgia. He also helps a lot of startups through the early stages of their business, and that includes advising CTOs. Now, he's worked with a lot of great CTOs and has observed some of the qualities that many of the successful ones have in common. Yeah, I think the fantastic CTOs, they will have a deep technical expertise in a specific area, whether that is like a physician or whether that is a deep engineering background or computer science background or programming. Usually they're the people that are just exceptional at their craft, whatever that technical craft may be. And then, you know, they somehow have identified the ability to be visionary on top of that. And part of, as I jokingly quote, one of my prior presidents and CEOs used to say, the the difference between a vision and a hallucination is how many people see it. Mm. (laughs) That's a good one. That's great, isn't it? (laughs) That is a good one. Right? I mean, Chris Wright was talking about how important communication is for any CTO. And, Mm. you know, here Kirk Barnes is making that same point because it's so important for someone to have that vision and say like, oh, here's where I think we should go. And if no one else sees that, then it's not going to be a successful organization, right? Mm. Now, for the early stages of a company, making that vision not only clear, but also inspiring is very important, especially for a founder trying to build a team. You know, many CTOs that have a firm understanding of the technology and then a vision for what the technology could do to be transformational, but then being able to articulate what that vision is and what they could do. And typically, many of the early employees that come to the companies, they're not getting paid. They might get shares if shares really mean anything at that point. But most people will will join a technical founder because they believe in not only their ability, but they also believe in the mission and vision that's ahead of them. If they can work together, they really can you know, change the world. 
You have to have a lot of faith in these founders and Mm -hmm. what they're bringing to the market because he said some folks don't get paid, and if they do, Mm -hmm. they get it in shares only. Imagine the level of faith you have to have in that product or that company to Mm -hmm. want to go down that path. It can be transformational for those folks who who jump on early, but boy, what a test of faith, right? Yeah. Yeah. To have that much faith in someone's vision. It's impressive. Yeah, knowing that technology inside and out takes a lot of work. Forming that vision also takes a lot of work. And communicating that vision and the potential that it represents, again, that <laughs> that takes even more work, right? Making sure that you're able to have a team that not only knows that you have a vision, but then also believe in that vision so that mm-hmm. it is a shared vision and not a hallucination. That's mm-hmm. very, very difficult, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. And not only is it difficult, it can be really exhausting and discouraging and just all around very difficult to do in an industry where a lot of startups don't make it. So many of the founders, you know, they're not taking a salary very often. They're lonely, especially before they take a first round of funding where they can hire a team. Many times they're not supported. And many times on top of how smart people are and how great technology is, No matter what that technology is, we are all people at the end of the day. He said that they're lonely. I never really thought about that before. When I imagine a person who's a a startup founder, I don't think of the isolation. But it does make sense when you're a person who works for a company, if you're Mm -hmm. working with a team and you already have like this kind of like organizational structure that's kind of already there, you take for granted that you're kind of surrounded by by people where you can bounce ideas off of them, Mm -hmm. you can talk to them when you're having a hard time, Mm -hmm. or you can share in your success. But for a CTO who's also a founder, there may not be anyone to do that with. Mm -hmm. That's really interesting. Yeah, and just like Chris mentioned, everyone has their limits, and Mm. CTOs need to realize that and make sure that they get the support they need to be successful. Where do you go to get that type of support you need Mm -hmm. when you're in this startup phase of your Mm -hmm. company Mm -hmm. before anything is kind of taken off. Mm -hmm. It sounds like it can be very isolating. And because people really do need people, you know, what do you Mm -hmm. do when you and only a few other folks kind of believe in your vision? And, Mm -hmm. you know, those folks are stretched thin and you're stretched thin. And it's like, it sounds very isolating. It sounds very stressful Mm -hmm. as well. And, we need to realize that, yeah, these are all people and they're dealing with this. This is a pressure that most of us won't experience. Most of us aren't cutting edge and coming out with these, you know, startups and these great new products. But just know that so many folks out there have gone through this Mm -hmm. and, you know, some have come out on the other side super successful. But like you said earlier, not a lot of startups get any further. Mm. And I can only imagine how that mental toil can take hold for the successful ones and the not successful ones. I can only imagine, you know, how that affects their mental health in a lot of ways. Mm -hmm. Mm. Well, for some startups, there's the option of joining an incubator, right? That's, you know, that that provides a little bit of a support network and, and kind of a little bit of extra help to get you started and off the ground. But There's also usually a community of other startups that you're working alongside. But that's not available to everyone, right? Some of these incubators can be, you know, they they only have limited capacity and they they kind of pick and choose who they want to be part of them. And not everyone has access to them. And that's when it can be really important to have 
a support network outside of work, right? Mm. Friends, family, fellow colleagues who are in it but aren't necessarily working directly with you. It's important to have someone to talk to. Mm. Okay, so it's important to kind of build out your own support system mm-hmm. if you don't have that already kind of like laid out for you and like a maybe yeah. like a startup incubator or some other type of format. But what other points did Kirk have about like founders and how things work? Well, so Kirk works in Atlanta, Georgia. Right. He works with a lot of diverse CTOs. And he had an unfortunate point to make about the state of VC funding in, in the tech world. I'll say something to that point. Now, this will be controversial. I might get myself in trouble, but I'll just say it. So I think sometimes I've, not sometimes, I've seen this, and it's, it shouldn't surprise anybody that if you have a female CTO or if you have a diverse CTO, and they have a problem raising money or getting customers, sometimes they might need somebody that doesn't look like them to help, you know, align better with, you know, investors or customers, whatever the case may be. That is very common. I've seen that. And sometimes, like, it shouldn't have to be that way. I think it's it's changing and getting better. But if you look at the numbers, the numbers are what they are in terms of who gets money and who doesn't and how, you know, what you have to show. Align better? Mm-hmm. Okay, that phrase just grinds my gears. Mm -hmm. And I know it's true, and he has a point. The tide is changing, but the simple fact that you have to put on a mask or, Mm -hmm. you know, have someone else present for you when it's your idea and it's your passion just to get funding, it's so unfortunate that we still live in a time where Racism, sexism, ageism, these isms are creeping in Mm -hmm. and possibly getting in the way of great ideas. Yeah. Mm. Oh, gosh, it sucks. Now, we we covered some of the people pushing for change in Command Line Hero Season 6 in the season finale. People like Arlen Hamilton, who started a VC specifically to fund diverse CTOs and CEOs and, and founders. But, you know, that's one VC out of many, right? Exactly. Right. So what do we talk about next? So we spoke with Phil Schrader, and he is the CEO of a company called Gum Gum. That is a contextual technology platform. So in short, they're trying to bring back advertising based on the context that it's found in rather than based on the data they can find about you, Hmm. right? So if you're going to a, let's say it's a phishing website, you're going to find ads for, you know, phishing polls and tack and bait and that kind of stuff rather than having ads that are served to you based on your data that aren't necessarily related to the website that you're on. Hmm. Interesting. Now, he really relies heavily on his CTO. So to me, the interaction between the CEO and the CTO is so incredibly important. For me specifically, I don't come with the tech background of the product. I come from the operational execution and transformation of that into the go-to-market product side. So my CTO, Ken, and I have to be connected at the hip. But by connected at the hip, it has to start with the ability for us to trust one another. And so I think you have to say, does this individual as the CTO, do I trust them enough to go and make decisions on product, right? Make calls, bring in new technologies, break things, and that you're going to be there to support them when something doesn't go right, right? Because you're really giving them the autonomy to make that call. Ooh, that's a 
A lot of trust. Yes. A lot of trust. Yeah. That's a high level of trust for them to each kind of fulfill their roles and responsibilities. Mm-hmm. And he also acknowledges that both of them are absolutely essentially required for the success of the company. Oh, for sure. What the biggest thing is, I think, is that the bridge of that relationship don't take for granted either side being more important than the other. That is the important piece. Just like Ken has to, and I know is very important, he also needs to understand how the business and strategy needs to go and what I'm seeing. So the way in which some from takeaways is your CTO should be in all these different meetings. Your CTO should not just whether they're, they should be in here. And I think the biggest misconception that I think people have around CTOs is that they are just data-driven, producers, engineering, have a certain DNA, right? So, yeah, CTOs are technical, Mm. but as we've heard, CTOs are also customer-facing. They have to also communicate their vision to the company, and even though they have those set roles and responsibilities of engineering and setting the technical vision and, and keeping a pulse on the tech industry, right, there's no reason for them to be also absolutely constrained by those specific responsibilities. They're very strategic, And they're super strategic, and your job is to understand how you can help them bring that strategic thought to the front lines. And what I mean is they might not want to be the one that's the loudest in the room. Now, I can't have an ego and say, stay in your lane. You're the CTO. That's death. So, you know, as founders, as leaders, as people who have influence over the course of a company— CTOs often have insights about areas that are, quote, not in their lane, right? That could be Mm -hmm. absolutely beneficial. But as we go through this series, as we explore the roles and the responsibilities and how they fit into the larger tech ecosystem, we're going to hear a lot of overlap. And we're going to hear about what they're experts in. But it's important to remember that people often can have good ideas about the company that doesn't necessarily fit or neatly fit in their job description. That's very common in tech. Mm-hmm. Think about our Stack Unstuck series where mm-hmm. we talked about it makes sense to know what's happening up and down the stack. That's right. Because mm-hmm. it makes you better at your job. Correct. So for Kurt and Ken's positions, it makes them better in their roles because they are joined at the hip and they have a great understanding and respect for each other's roles in the company. So, you know, there is no real lane for you to stay in because... If you're working at a startup, it's almost all boots on the ground. Everybody Mm -hmm. has to contribute. So you have to know a little bit about the CTO's role if you're the CEO and vice versa. So Mm -hmm. it kind of makes sense. And it's nice that we're doing this because it kind of flushes out those roles. Mm -hmm. Yes, they do have a lane and they have a purpose. But in a startup where, you know, if it's an up and coming startup where there are so few people on the team, Mm -hmm. you really do have to rely on the the resources and smarts of other folks on your team. So Mm -hmm. there is no real lane at that point. That's right. And in lieu of having a team, I guess that that direction can come from maybe other people that you're sharing space with in a startup incubator mm-hmm. or in one of those support systems or support teams that you've kind of built out mm-hmm. outside of your day-to-day. Is that right? Yeah, absolutely, right? You can definitely get help and, and support from people who aren't necessarily working for you and you know bounce ideas off of your colleagues yeah. and people who aren't necessarily involved with your company, right? 
So have we fleshed out this job description yet for a CTO? I think so. <laughs> I, I, I think we've done a lot to describe what a CTO does, mm-hmm. but also more importantly, what they don't do. Mm. You know, that CTOs have their limits and that, you know, they also really need to rely on the teams that they build. Just as important. In order to, to fulfill the parts of the job that they can't handle by themselves. I think what I've learned today is that a CTO is not just important from an internal perspective, if you're talking about a company, but mm-hmm. also from a very external perspective, because it is they are the ones that people outside of your company are going to look at when they're looking at whether or not your service or your product is going to align with whatever they need for, you know, for mm-hmm. themselves and what their own vision is. Mm-hmm. So it's a cartographer person that gives you direction, but not necessarily tells the future. They're not a mind reader mm-hmm. and they're definitely not fortune tellers. And they can feel like certain, you know, types of isolation and Mm -hmm. and they do feel kind of overwhelmed or they can feel overwhelmed at times. But just because they are this like really cornerstone of a startup Mm -hmm. doesn't mean that they should be boxed into one specific thing. They need to kind of be able to move around and explore Mm -hmm. things and sometimes fail in order to find a good strategy and a good vision. Now, we were just saying that we shouldn't box people into their own lanes, but Mm. everyone has their lanes for a reason, right? That it's their responsibilities. Yes, that's true. At some point, they're not going to be able to do things that are, quote, outside of that lane, right? Or at least not full time. Mm. For our next episode, our CTO has found that they've hit their limit, right? And they need to hire someone to help them build the rest of the application. They're going to ask to hire an architect. All right. It will be your time to shine, Angela. <laughs> <laughs> I know a little bit about being an architect. <laughs> what an interesting set of perspectives. You got to hear from Kirk and Chris and Phil about the CTO role. And we're interested in hearing about what you thought. Share your thoughts with us. You can tweet us at Red Hat. You can use the hashtag CompilerPodcast. We want to hear about what you think about the CTO role. Are you a CTO? What do you think about your CTO? Does the things that you heard today, do they jive with what happens in your organization? We would love to hear about it. Hit us up. And that does it for the CTO episode of Compiler Reroll. Today's episode was produced by Johan Philippine, Caroline Craighead, and Kim Wong. Victoria Lawton makes sure that we all share the same vision. Our audio engineer is Christy Chan. Special thanks to Sean Cole. Our theme song was composed by Mary Anchetta. Thank you to our guests, Chris Wright, Kirk Barnes, and Phil Schrader. Our audio team includes Lee Day, Stephanie Wonderlich, Mike Esser, Brent Semino, Nick Burns, Aaron Williamson, Karen King, Jared Oates, Rachel Ortel, Devin Pope, Matias Foundes, Mike Compton, Ocean Matthews, and Alex Trabulsi. If you liked today's episode, please follow the show, rate the show, and leave a review. Share it with someone that you know. It really helps us get the word out. Take care, everyone. See you soon. Hey, I'm Jeff Ligon. I'm the Director of Engineering for Edge and Automotive at Red Hat. 
When I say edge computing, the average person probably thinks smart device, smart fridge, smart watch, smart speaker. But edge computing goes way beyond that. A fridge with a Wi-Fi connection is one thing. A robotic vehicle that's sorting packets and using AI to plan its route through the warehouse, that's something else entirely. At that level of complexity, you've got software in the cloud, software in the warehouse, software in the robot. How would you even manage an update without a common system? This is where Red Hat's edge solutions come in. We simplify and streamline operations from the cloud to the farthest edge, across all kinds of devices and use cases, because everything should just work everywhere. Find out more at redhat.com slash edge.